The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning. I am uh, Shannon Sword. I'm the college and career pastor here at TBC. And um, the, uh, my peanut gallery um, college right there, college students, my college men and women. We, uh, I come bringing tidings from our men's conference, actually. We, I took a few of the college men with me, and we went out there. And it was a great, uh, we had a great time, uh, a, a great speaker. Uh, the testimonies were so, so cool to hear, um, the workshops. And, and I'd tell you more, but if I did, then they would have to kill me. Because what cap happens at Camp Tejas stays at Camp Tejas, right? Kind of makes you wonder what happens out of Camp Tejas, doesn't it? So I, Dave Tate, our high school pastor, told me, he said, man, you know what I do if I'm going to be up preaching just to get my blood going in the morning is I go out for a short jog. And so I'm like, okay, I'll try that out. You know, I've, I jog from time to time. I said, I'll, I'll do that. So I go out for a short jog this morning. It's still dark. And uh, as I come around this, uh, this one long bend around our block, um, there is some kind of a creature standing in front of me on the road, probably about, oh, maybe 25, 30 yards up the road. And the way the light is hitting this thing that looks like a Great Dane. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm jogging this way and here's the profile, you know. I'm like, this is a beast. And, and all I could see was from like mid-body down. So that was what was lit up, nothing above that. So I had no idea what this was. All I knew was that it remained planted there. And I'm thinking, well, if I jog close enough, this thing, whatever it's going gonna, it's gonna to be, I'm assuming it's a beast of a dog. Like, I'm thinking this is going to be a dog, and I'm sure that he'll run at some points. So finally, I'm realizing he's not moving, and that usually means that they're really confident, and they're not afraid of you, and that's really scary. So I'm thinking, well, I'm now going to stop, and the moment I do, it takes off, and behind it come two other baby deer. And I'm like, aw, a deer. So all that to say, I was terrified of a deer. I got my blood moving this morning. And I obviously know nothing about hunting. So all that right there. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be together as the people of God. Father, we recognize we are the unfinished people of God. We don't have to look very far uh, in the mirror before we realize that. And so we ask, Father, you'd give us insight into to, to who we are, into what you call us to be. Father, I pray that the words that are spoken today would truly be, in fact, your words and not mine. So, so guide my, my tongue, guide my thoughts. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We're going to be looking at Acts 11. If you would take your word, turn there. And... Um, Luke has, has just told us about how, how Peter has explained to the, the church leaders back in Jerusalem that what has happened in Cornelius' home, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is very similar to what happened there on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And, uh, and so, I pick it up in verse 18. And when they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles' repentance unto life. 
Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, um, ph- sorry, Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. God's work is unfinished. It's unfinished. How often I have to remind myself of that fact. God is not yet done. He's not called us to meet him in the air. The last trumpet hasn't sounded. He hasn't returned bodily to rule and to reign here on earth. He's unfinished. His work is unfinished. He he told Abram he would be a blessing to the nations And Jesus sharpened the focus up quite a bit when he told the disciples that you are to go to all the the nations and you are to baptize them and teach them to obey. And now what we see here in the second half of Acts 11 is God's carrying that out. He's doing it. He's bringing it about. He is taking the gospel now to the other nations. It's exciting to to see and exciting to be a a part of, God was going to make one people out of two. Jews and Gentiles were going to be brothers in Christ, worshiping in in the same churches. It says, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed. So let me tell you a little bit about, about Antioch. The folks are scattering. There's persecution going on. Uh, They're looking for either a temporary home or a new home. They've left Jerusalem, traveled hundreds of miles up the coast to Antioch. And Antioch is a very important city. Antioch's the third largest city in in the Roman world. It's only surpassed by Rome and Alexandria. There was a population of about 70,000 Jews that lived there, lived in exile there, had been living there for several hundred years since the exile, and they lived in a few communities and kind of kept to themselves. They lived among a population of about half a million folks of many other races. Many Greek folks lived there. Adding to this whole cultural mix was the fact that Antioch was the seat of governments for the, uh, for the area of Syria. So there was a lot of pomp and ceremony. There was a lot of government officials. There was a lot of money and wealth and importance given to this, to this city of Antioch. On top of that, everything that was produced in the fertile area of Syria traveled through Antioch on its way west where it would be sold. And so it was economically a very wealthy place, meaning People wanted to be there, meaning it's going to attract folks of many races to work there in all the different trades. And finally, it was a place that was located nearby a number of different mystery cults. The the worship of Artemis and Apollo, and there's a really sick worship to the Assyrian god Astart that went on there. So this place was a place that was dark. It's a place that you might, if you wandered into it, think like you would do if you walked into any really large city. You go into a large town, a large city, and and you see the wealth, you see the, the strength of the city, you see the diversity of the population, and you begin to think, man, what 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 do these people care about this this Palestinian carpenter 
over here in Judea. I mean, there's no way God could be at work here, but that's the farthest thing from the truth because the, the, the reality is that God is already gone ahead of the people and he's opening doors. He's helping them understand how to have these conversations, get into spiritual conversations with these pagans. That's what some of the Jews had the courage to do. But how do you do that? What are the heart longings that people have? How do you understand those? I mean, people do. People everywhere have longings they desire to be, that, that, that they desire to have met. And these folks were, were no different. What are those longings that folks have today? Have you ever stopped to wonder that? What are the longings that folks around you have? Those that are different than you specifically? It amazes me how quickly my heart moves to judgment when I'm around folks that, that look different, that live different, that make different decisions than I do. My heart moves to judgment. I hate that about my heart. There's a darkness there in my heart that I find absolutely, absolutely disgusting. And so I've begun to kind of speak to my heart, to kind of talk to myself a little bit. It's all internal. It's okay. But I tell myself, man, Shannon, you know we share a lot more in common than we have that's different. There's a lot more in common than meets the eye. I tell myself, yep, there you go again, because it's a lot easier to judge than it is to hear a story, than it is to understand. I tell myself, you know, there's a lot, Shannon, that's broken in your own life. You're not perfect. You've not got it all put together. And I preach this to myself. And then I, I think, man, I bet they're doing the best that they can with what they have. I bet they're doing the best they can with what they have. So when I feel judgment, when I feel that tendency to move to that so, so quickly, I've now begun to try to program myself to just ask a question. Hey, how's your day going? Simple question. I can say hello, but that's kind of a terminal, you know, conversation. Hello, hello, hey. But if I ask, how's your day going? Sometimes it's really, really quick. You know, it happens like that. But there are many times that I find that a story emerges. There's something going on in their life. It may not necessarily be the, 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 the thing that's going to give me insight into their, their hearts, but it gives me a glimpse. And we begin to establish some common ground. And it's amazing to realize God is already gone ahead of me. If I will open my eyes and trust, if I will open my eyes and believe that. So God's pouring out his spirit among a new race of people. And a new church is being born, the church in Antioch. You see, the church in Jerusalem has been the center of it all thus far through Acts. But, but from here on out, Antioch is going to begin to supersede the importance of the church in Jerusalem. They're going to become, this is going to become the center of everything. It's going to be from here that Paul takes his missionary journeys. This is going to be his sending church. And so any body of believers has a need suddenly. Where's the leadership? Because without leadership, without vision, without a shepherd, the people will perish. So um, news reaches their ears back in Jerusalem. Let's read on. Verses 22, if you'd follow along. It says, news of this, news of the fact that many, a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord, reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God. And he was glad, and he encouraged them all, 
to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. He was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were, first, were called Christians first in Antioch. So the church knows there's a need. They, they want to send a leader back. And they don't just send any leader back. They send really a guy that's mature, a guy that knows what he's doing, a guy that knows how to come in and investigate without looking like he's investigating, right? He's not going to call them all in one by one and tell me your story. I mean, he's going to come in there and he is going to be a, a guy who shows great compassion great encouragement, an open ear to hear their stories and begins to assess the situation. And from what he learns, he can figure out what needs to happen in order for them to be built up. I'll never forget years ago when I came here, 20 years ago, a long time ago, uh, as the youth pastor here. And my, one of the things that I, I was wise enough to do, I had a lot of, of foolishness, but I was wise enough to remember that when I got here, to start hearing the stories of the students, to start hearing the stories of families, of the parents. Don't make any changes until I understand what's really going on here, until I understand what the need is. Then you can begin. Then, it's, then it feels like we are making the changes, right? By the way, in anybody's life, when you sit down with a friend and they begin to talk to you about anything in their life, one of the things you need to make sure and do as, as, you, uh, as they invite you into, in essence, kind of the living room of their heart, if this is the first time they've done that, don't go in and rearrange the furniture, you know? <laughs> go in and say, yeah, well, I like it better like this. I feel more comfortable here. And we do that, don't we? Instead of going in with, with gentleness, like Barnabas did, and hearing their stories before making any kinds of of changes. So Barnabas is that kind of guy. We, we hear about him back in Acts 4 when we read that Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He had sold a, a field that he owned and he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Also, Barnabas was the guy when Paul had first turned from Saul to Paul, he was now there in Jerusalem and he was talking about the gospel. He was fiercely defending the name of Christ to many folks that were there, but the believers, the disciples that said in Jerusalem would not accept him. They didn't trust this guy. And this is the guy that was out trying to harm us. This is the guy rounding us up and throwing us in prison, feeding us to the lions. We're not going to trust you. Barnabas goes. He collects Paul, recognizing this is what God wants me to do, takes him to the apostles, introduces him to the apostles, and says, this guy, this guy is the real deal. He's sharing his faith fiercely with folks. God's hand is clearly on him. He is now one of us. Isn't that amazing? Barnabas, what I learn is Barnabas is clearly committed to the things of God. Barnabas is clearly committed to the people of God. Luke says that he is full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He is, in essence, a faithful shepherd, committed to seeing God's people built up. 
In Ephesians 4, this is what we read. A very important section of the scriptures for us here at TBC, this really is a huge part of our philosophy and what drives us in our mission. It says, it was he, Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. Barnabas was one such pastor and teacher. Barnabas was a faithful shepherd. He was a man of competence, a man of character, And as we're going to see, a man of credibility. He was clearly a competent shepherd. A competent shepherd is one who is is skilled in coming in and knowing, here's what needs to happen. This is where the people are at, and this is what needs to happen for them to be built up. When he arrives, Luke says that he saw evidence of the grace of God, and he was glad. What evidence do you think he saw? How did he know that these folks were, in fact, genuinely believers? That the Lord's hand was on on them and he had brought them to himself? How did he evaluate that? What evidence did he see? Well, what evidence do we look for? What do we look for in somebody's life to, to recognize that they genuinely are a believer? Most folks, what we move to real quickly is we tell our story. That's what we do. We tell our story. We call it a testimony. And in that, we desire to, to, to describe, you know, that point in which we came to faith. Oftentimes, it's, it's filled full of experience. It's filled full sometimes of the mystical and, and things that are a bit mysterious to us. Sometimes it's filled with promises of God that we're holding on to. But I can tell you this. This is true of all of us. The genuine faith becomes clearest when people can look at your life and they can clearly connect the dots between your words and your deeds. They see the connection. It's not, well, um, do as I say, not as I do. Or it's not, wow, I'm having a hard time understanding what you, uh, hearing what you are believing because of what you are doing in your life. Sometimes that's, that's the case. But this is the truth. Genuine faith becomes clear when people can connect the dots between what we say and what we do. We begin to exude the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit indwells us, which we know that He does, He tells us that in Ephesians 1, um, 12 through 14, He comes and He indwells us. I would expect to see fruit from the Spirit being exhibited in the lives of believers. And this is what it says in Galatians 5.22 about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, ugh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is what we expect to see. So what's happening is the Spirit is living in me, literally animating me. It's like... It's kind of like, if I understand Romans, what Paul says there, it's kind of like I am dead now to my former life, and the only thing that makes me alive is the Spirit living within me. It's animating me. It's giving me insight into the choices I make, my actions, and my decisions. And as I keep in step with the Spirit, then I'm going to carry out um, the desires of the Spirit and not merely try to keep some kind of a religious rule book 
in my life. There's no doubt the Spirit made it very clear to Barnabas that this was his work. They could see the evidence of that, that these were Spirit-led men and women. And it says he was glad. That's so great. He was glad. Centuries earlier, Jonah was sent to a people. Very similar situation. A Greek people, or not a Greek people, but, but a Gentile people. And he is, his greatest fear was if I go and preach repentance, that the Ninevites are going to turn and God's going to show them mercy. So he went the other way. And as you know, God takes him back there and he does it begrudgingly. You know, walking through the city, repent, repent. And they all do. The Spirit of God's obviously on them. They come to repentance and then he's mad. He's mad at God because God showed mercy to this people. Man, Barnabas was glad. The word literally means rejoiced. Barnabas rejoiced at seeing God's mercy extended to people that are different than he is. A people that are different than he is. And he encouraged them to all remain true to the Lord with all their hearts, literally with all their affections, with all their passions. One of the most vulnerable periods for a young believer is right after they have come to faith, right after they've been evangelized, they need to be established in their faith. They need to understand by being around other people what it is to, to, that, they, that they should expect. We need to orient them in that way. And we do this in so many different ways in life. It's no surprise to us that people need to be placed in a group of folks who have already been through a similar experience. Here, if you want to get married at CBC, we have premarital counseling. At UMHB, there's a welcome week that they do an amazing job with helping students know what to expect and how to connect to one another. Driver's ed for those that are going to be drivers. My youngest daughter, we're going, we're going through it right now, so pray for us. There's boot camp for the, for the military. There's training for a new employee. And the, and the fact is, there needs to be authentic biblical community for those that are new to the faith so they can get oriented to what it is that they should expect. Because here's the thing. If that new believer stumbles across 2 Corinthians 5.17 where it says that in Christ Jesus we're a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come and there's nobody around them and two weeks into their walk with the Lord, they're looking at their lives, they're looking at their motives and their actions and decisions they're like, man, I thought all this was supposed to be gone. The old was supposed to be gone and the new has come. We can really be setting them up for failure in a situation like that. We've got to get them placed in folks. We've got to get them um, built up and encouraged to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. Here at CBC, we desire, like Barnabas, to be good shepherds. And we've done a lot of thinking and work about what are those priorities that we see in Scripture that are, that are really that, they're priorities. And we've done some, some work at distilling those down into three major ideas. Three priorities. The first is personal surrender. Personal surrender. The second is biblical community. And the third is missional living. These priorities, we call them our core values. And let me say this. When, when, when you label something core values, some people kind of go, well, that's a man-made 
you know, title you're placing on something. You just kind of stuck that label on it. It feels kind of plasticky, kind of fake, kind of phony. But here's what I can tell you. There was a lot of hours, a lot of prayer, a lot of time in Scripture hammering these out. And here's what we know about our core values. Here's what we know about what we believe are the core values that should be present in all believers' lives. And that's this. I don't like to do them. The people of God find them hard to do. And that's why we have to understand what they are. I resist them. That's why I need to be reminded of them. These are counterintuitive to me. I don't like to do them. But if I'm not grappling with these, if we, the people of God, are not grappling with these on some level, then we are seriously, seriously missing some things. Let me interject something here. I think there's a real misunderstanding among Christians today who who think of their salvation when they come to faith as kind of getting that golden ticket and stuffing it in their pocket, knowing that they're going to cash it in on that day they meet St. Peter at the pearly gates, right? And And they defend that with statements like, hey man, once saved, always saved, back off. Okay, once saved, always saved. And I understand that, I do. But we may really be missing out on on the truth that Jesus doesn't want to be our Savior merely in in our past. He doesn't want our salvation to be a past tense thing and a future tense thing. He wants our salvation to be a present tense thing as well. Because here's here's the truth. As I understand the scriptures, as I read the scriptures, he's going to allow us to go through some hard things. There's going to be highs and lows in my journey as I'm pursuing my Savior, as I'm living my life. Jesus is going to allow us to experience times of confusion, times of of heartache, times of disappointment and misunderstanding and, and loss. Times of even persecution and suffering are going to be allowed in my life. And what he wants me to do is this. I want you to lean ever increasingly into me, Shannon. I want you to fall into me. I want you to trust that I want to be your strength and your counsel in the midst of this, in the midst of this place right here, right now. We should have a present sense experience to our faith, not just past, not just future. Yet many Christians don't. They don't. A faith that consistently has no present sense expression. A faith that consistently has no present sense expression should have no confidence in its authenticity. Whoa, that's heavy. What do you mean? If you consistently live your life and there is nothing that you are leaning into Jesus in right now, like you're not holding on to him for anything, you're not trusting him for anything, how do you know you're really his? How do you know that when the hard things happen that you would not have gone, "Eh, no more, no more Jesus? How do you know that you've not already done that? How do you know that the distance you have with your Savior may be because some of those things have already happened in your life, but you're over here, once saved, always saved? In Philippians 2, Paul says this, we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And this is what that means. That I recognize that the gospel is the center of my life. It is, it is the thing in my life that motivates me. And that means 
that God who is wholly other has provided for me that which I could not provide for myself. He has met my need and therefore God is wholly other than me, loving me while I was yet a sinner. And what that does in me, what that produces in me is unbelievable thankfulness and gratitude, but it also creates in me this sense of awe and respect of who God is. Who is like you, God? So there's this sense of fear. But there's also this reality of living my life knowing that my flesh is Weak. And I'm not talking about my, my physical body. I'm talking about this reality of our sin nature. That it's weak. And I know that as much as I desire to bring my Savior honor, there's going to be sin, sins that have happened in my life. So there's a trembling nature in my life too. And I bring those two together, this fear and trembling, as I work out my salvation. So perhaps it's time that we trade in once saved, always saved, For if saved, always saved. If you are in fact saved, you are always saved. I'm in no way impugning the doctrine, the truth that we stand on, that those that are the Lord's are always the Lord's. That will not be changed, right? If you are His, you are eternally secure as His. The question is, are you in fact His? What I'm saying is that if we're not working on our salvation... By learning to increasingly surrender all that I am and all that I have to the Lord, to to Jesus as Lord and King. And number two, if I am not availing my schedule to enter into real biblical community, like where it gets messy with people, you know, as we're talking about how to live our Christian life, work it out in fear and trembling, like I'm not ever in a place where that's happening on a consistent basis. And number three, that if you're not strategically seeking cultural bridges where you can connect and show compassion to those in the world that are not like you, like they did in Antioch, then the truth is this, that the very priorities that you need may not be there. Those things that you need to keep your affections kindled for Christ may not be there. And you're walking around in your Christian life bored. Yep, yep, kind of boring. I'm really not that excited about my faith these days. Are you leaning on the Lord for anything? Do you see his salvation in the midst of your life today? Are you trusting him right here, right now? How kind it is that God sent a shepherd who knew how to encourage these believers to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Barnabas. Barnabas means encourager. The word encourager in the the Greek is paraclete. It's used 105 times in the New Testament. 105 times. And what it means is to come alongside another and to build up what's lacking by speaking words of life and truth to them. I saddle up next to somebody and I have enough time to hear what's going on and then I begin to speak words and truth and build up what is lacking. It's not simply... Quick, superficial compliments. They have their place. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's, it's important to know, to hear the attaboys and to be reminded, I'm doing okay. I'm going in the right direction. This is all good. But it's so important that we have folks that come alongside and hear what's happening in our lives, the, uh, the lives of those that are young and in the lives of believers that are struggling. And they speak words of truth. And what happens is this. I begin to understand how my life 
connects to God's story. My story is connected to God's story. Our story as the people of God is part of God's story. Every one of you here that call in the name of Christ, your story is connected to God's story. And we need to be reminded of that. And as we do, as we are, we begin to think different and see different, hope different, trust different. New things begin to emerge from our lives. And don't miss this. Every single one of us are called to be encouragers. It's not the formal role simply of pastors, of small group shepherds, of Sunday school teachers. It's not. Every single one of us are called to be encouragers. That's what I read in, um, in Hebrews 10, 25, when it says, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So what we do as the people of God, is when we begin to recognize an opportunity as the Spirit is leading us, we saddle up next to somebody and maybe we hear something in what they say that's not quite um, consistent with what we see in the gospel. It's an unhealthy thought. Maybe it is an unwise decision. Maybe it's a bad direction that they are going and we love them enough, as hard as this is going to be, to warn them away from that. To warn them away from that and to build them up so they understand what is needed. And we do that in, in great humility and in great love. And that's what Barnabas did. Barnabas was clearly a competent shepherd, but he was also known for his character. You see, you can't be a faithful shepherd if there's no character. And what is said of him is that he was a good man. It's interesting because in all of Acts, this is the only one that Luke says is good. The only one. Barnabas was a good man. Do you know that in in 2 Peter 1, Peter's talking about those things that you work hard to add to your faith as you're growing, as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the very first virtue on that list, the very first one is goodness. Goodness was the highest of the virtues. What goodness um, meant was excellence. The Greek philosophers thought of it this this way, that which fulfilled its intended purposes. So you could say that land was good because it produced a great crop. A car is good because it gets you from point A to point B safely and reliably. A quarterback is good because he knows when the ball is underinflated, right? (laughs) It'll be an interesting game today. I'm I'm waiting to see if he he gets a ball at some point and just puts it down. Ball check, ball check, new ball, bring it in. We'll see what happens. The people of God need good people, people who understand that this is the way God's designed me. He's designed me to be good, to fulfill his purposes, to do that which he designed me to do. So I keep in step with the spirits, and as I do that, I allow God to work in and through me for his good purposes. That's what we do as the people of God, and I get that from these two passages. Maybe it needs to be said on a week when Gary is not here, how faithful our God is to have provided a good shepherd in Gary DeSalvo, a man full of his weaknesses and strengths, absolutely. You know, Gary will be the first to tell you, as he he has through many stories through the year, that there's weaknesses there, there's strengths there. He desires to be a man man who is good, a man who surrenders his life to be used of the Lord, to build us up so that we're thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has in store for us. 
God has been such a faithful God to provide good shepherds to this body. Barnabas was competent. Barnabas was a man of character. And finally, he was credible. The people trusted him. Right after uh, we read about Barnabas, it says a great number of people were brought to the Lord. People trusted this guy. Sometimes credibility happens because we have something in common, a similar experience in life. And and there's no doubt that Barnabas did because he was from um, Cyrene or from Cyprus. So, folks, he was from a Hellenistic city himself. He understood the Greek mindset. He understood a cosmopolitan city. And so they probably recognized there's some things that you get us. Oh, wow, dude, you get us. But don't miss this. Barnabas was Jewish. There was a lot that they didn't have in common, a lot of things that they didn't share. And this is the heart of missional living. It means to live incarnationally. It means not demanding your rights and your preferences when, when you're spending time with folks, loving folks. Barnabas was a man that literally got down on their level, spent time with them on their turf, and the people got him. They trusted him. So here's my question for us. Here's my question for you. Are you living missionally? in your life? Are you living missionally? And to consider that, to think about that, a few follow-up questions. Whose turf are you on? Is there anybody's turf that lives life that looks different than you? Are you spending time on their turf? And if not, have you begun to pray, Father, open those doors. I know you've gone ahead of us, so open those doors. We're waiting for those opportunities. And then you take some risks. You begin, instead of judging, to just say, hey, how's your your day going? Here's the thing. The story of the acts of God is still being witnessed. It's an unfinished work. We're the unfinished people of God, and God's still going ahead of us. God is calling us to be mature men and women who saddle up next to folks who hear one another's stories and build each other up. And as we do that, I'm telling you, we will change the way we do relationships and church when we're together. We will. It'll continue to grow and mature. We'll change the way we do community groups. We'll change the way we do life out in the community. We'll, change in, it, it, we'll see the changes in our schools and reflected on our teams It'll be reflected in our cities. Will the work of God continue to grow and grow and, and Barnabas needs help? He goes and collects Paul, who's clearly been the, the God's chosen instrument to the Gentiles. And, and he takes Paul from Tarsus and moves him to Antioch, where obviously God's opened a door. It's about to happen, Paul. Here you go. You're going to be the apostle of the Gentiles. I'm going to bring you here. I'm going to help you get started. And the two minister there faithfully for the next Year And it says that they met with the church and and taught a great number of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. This was not a positive thing. This was a negative thing. They used it as an insult. You who always talk about Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King. You people, what is wrong with you? And so they would use this, you Christians. And it's interesting, in Scripture, we don't see the word Christian used except in a couple places. It's used in 1 Peter 4 when Peter's talking about 
persecution. Those who insult you, those who persecute you, he uses the title Christians there. Isn't that interesting? It would be many, many years before the church began to say, wait, we don't have to be afraid of this term. Let's embrace this thing. The very thing that people look at us and see us being different, we're going to take that power away from folks and we're just going to embrace this title. We're a changed people. Well, this section began with the church of Jerusalem saying, man, go down and see if there's any fruit. See if this is the real deal. And the way they send the word back is a profound message. Who would have thought that, that, that there was going to be a famine in the land? A prophet named Agabus goes, says a great famine is coming through Judea in some years to come. They take up this first multicultural church in history. The very first one takes up an offering and sends it back through Paul and Barnabas to their brothers back in Jerusalem to care for them. What an amazing statement of generosity, of changed lives and changed hearts. By the way, I do video announcements, as you guys know, and I, it's amazing how often I have to get up and say, I have to. I have to share a word of thanks because whatever need we put in front of this body, this body meets. Whatever we put in front of this body, this body meets over and above. And so we're regularly getting up and saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's so evident of so many changed lives because we are a a body that is generous. God is unfinished. And I was reminded of this in a very personal way about a year and a half ago. And I'm going to look at my notes here because this... This went on in my own life, and I want to make sure I don't get lost in my feelings. But two friends of mine played a pivotal role in my own life. They came alongside me at a time uh, when, when I, uh, I really needed to be built up. They were faithful shepherds to encourage me. You see, I'd come to really seriously doubt my gift, my calling, my usefulness of God as a, as a shepherd, as a pastor, as a teacher. But these friends of mine... Not intending, not, not with a plan or an agenda to sit down and, and to, to be the encouragers. They just were the encouragers as we're talking about our lives and talking about our stories. And they hear something in what I said that wasn't in line with the gospel. And they wouldn't let it go. It's like they kept coming back to this. Like, yeah, I want to go back and talk about this some more. Like, so I wanted to brush it off as friends merely telling me what I should hear and I could not do that. And what I was so surprised with was within a couple weeks, God had me think back about some things that had gone on, conversations in my life, hard things that had happened, wounds that had happened in my life. And I, I realized as I did that, that the tapes weren't playing the way I remembered them. Like they were different. Which tells me I had been saying all that stuff to, my, to myself for a while. All these distorted and twisted truths. The enemy had taken me captive. And I no longer wanted to be used by our Father. But these faithful shepherds came along. They were courageous friends. They passionately spoke the Lord's mind to me until I would listen. They built me up. They, in essence shepherded me back to wholeness and health and and usefulness to our great God. That's what we are to do in one another's lives because we are the people of God, the unfinished people of God. We all, like Barnabas, have to work hard to be the shepherds that are competent, shepherds that are of character and credible 
Because God's people really need to be built up in faith, hope, and love until we all reach the unity and the faith. Let's pray. Father, I praise you that you are a God who loves us. Father, we are not abandoned, you tell us. You care for us. You shepherd us. And Father, we feel that here at CBC. Father, I pray that, uh, that you would take these words, you would take the things that you have um, pricked within our hearts, Father, that we would live, um, as a re- live well as a result, that we would honor you well by, by our lives. And we give you the praise and honor, Father, for being a good and faithful God. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.